Hello and welcome to the podcast Shaped By. Shaped By is an interview series brought to you by Murray Edwards College, Newhawk at the University of Cambridge. In each episode, we will interview a member of our alumni exploring the experiences which will shape them to become the women they are today. This series is produced by Molly Gibson, me, Lexi Hoskins and myself, Eliza Gagelli. In this episode, I'm joined by Philippa Roberts, author, advertising expert and business owner. Philippa went to Murray Edwards College Newhall to study history in 1985. Once she graduated, she embarked on a career in advertising and communications, becoming the client services director at both DDB, now known as Adam and Eve, and Ogilvy. However, during her years working at these agencies, she repeatedly noticed that despite the fact that in most developed markets, women are invariably the most valuable consumer audience, they were often perceived in ways that were tired or inaccurate. And determined to do something about it, Philippa left her role to set up a research company called Pretty Little Head with her colleague Jane Cunningham, with the specific intention to help the marketing world to better understand women. 15 years later, and with three books under their belts, the duo have been described as the pioneers of marketing to women. You can tell that Philippa still has a huge amount of passion for what she does, and it was a pleasure to get the chance to speak to her. Welcome, Philippa. How are you? Oh, I'm very well. It's lovely um, lovely to see you. No, thank you so much for joining us. We're delighted to have you on the show. Um, and I know that this is actually Philippa's lunchtime, so we're very grateful for her giving up the time. Thank you. Oh my gosh, it's a pleasure. It's really, I'm so happy to do it. So starting from the very beginning, you grew up in Wiltshire in a family of four. And I know in our prior conversations, you remember having to find your script within the family. Could you tell us a bit more about what you mean by that? Yes, um, of course. So, so there were four. We the four four children um, in our family, and and um, and we're all quite close in close in age. And I think there's a thing in in families where everyone has to have their sort of position, don't they? They have to have the 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 you know. And this is a good thing and a bad thing. But people tend to need to be to, you know to have a, a particular role in in their family that that differentiates them I suppose and um and in our family my sister who was who was a little bit older than me she was always the um was the very sort of brave bold um one in the family who was always sort of leading the way because she was the oldest and then um then there was my youngest brother who was the classic kind of younger youngest child who was always sort of life and soul funny shiny um ultimately confident one then I've uh I have another brother he will always assume the role of being the quite difficult one quite sort of tricky um tricky one I don't know whether he assumed the role or whether he was just assigned the role but anyway he was that was his role and then and then there was me and I um for ages kind of didn't quite know what my script was going was going to be because I have my sister who was bold my brother who was uh, difficult and my other youngest brother who was all sunny and it was for and um for ages I I remember feeling oh 
I don't really, I, I'm not the anything in, in the family. And I was quite, I think for ages felt quite sort of diffident and um, unsure about, and about what my script was. And, um, and then of course, you know, as you, as you do when you're a child and you kind of grow into, th- grow into things. And, uh, you know, as I became a teenager, I became, um, yes, more, more sh- sure-footed about uh, what, what my script was. And my script, as it, as it turned out, it turned out to be, was, uh, you know, this, in some ways this has been really good. In some ways it's been quite bad, but, but I became the good one. And so I was always the, the sort of good girl who would, would be doing the, um, being, you know, being really hardworking, being very um, uh, sort of uh, really persistent and um, well organised, and trying really hard and um, being really agreeable, and um, and and that that became that became my um, script in the family, being the. Um, being the good one and as I say that's been you know in, that in some ways that's been an absolutely it's been a brilliant thing really in my in my life because quite early on I, I understood the thing that about you know if you work really hard and try really hard and then you start getting uh positive um results and really enjoy being absorbed in things I you know I found that all very rewarding and out of out of that then that sort of came became my my script in the family but it's really I think I'm always very interested in family dynamics and what people's scripts are and it's I think it is very important from very early on that you have your your thing that you feel you are anyway yeah absolutely I think it's really interesting as well that you kind of say that you almost find solace in working hard because I think a lot of um, women in uh, Murray Edwards College New Hall will, will relate to that completely um, because it does give you a kind of sense of self in a way doesn't it like you are the one who works hard and per- pursues a particular passion in uh, in something and for you I mean did you have that experience at school because I know that you um, you eventually went to Cambridge to study history in 85 but what kind of led up to that why did you apply for history and did you enjoy that at school well do you know I, I went to I went to really really nice school um, and it was boys school and that but they put, had just done that kind of um, you know 1980s thing of taking girls into the into the boys school and um, and it was it was an amazingly laid-back school it was really really relaxed really affable and just really good-hearted kind of school of the total opposite of loads of the um, really white heat, um, <laughs> really pushy educational establishments that you have now. And I was so happy there just because of that thing of being in an environment where you could just be yourself and people were genuinely just really encouraging, but there was no pushiness, no sort of competitiveness Um you d- didn't fit, didn't feel constantly, you know, I think in the way lots of children are now, didn't co- feel constantly evaluated and, you know, always moving to the next test and the next achievement. It was the complete opposite of that. And when I was, when I, when I was there, there was one teacher who was, was, um, was a really funny bloke. 
I mean, funny in every single way, but f- funny amusing, but also funny quite, quite um, sort of an outsider, didn't tow the sort of school party line at all. I remember we used to smoke, you know, more or less mm. in the classroom kind of thing, and that, that sort of way that things like that happened. Then. Anyway, it's really sarcastic, um, but quite anti-establishment sort of figure. And he never never really gave out any praise at all, really. Um, and then I remember him just said to me, he said to me one day, oh, you're very good at this. And and until then, I hadn't really thought I was a, a good at anything particularly. But I was so pleased that this really, um, you know, sort of tricky, sarky teacher had said that I was really good at something. And after that, he was always, he just was always amazingly encouraging to me. And whatever, whenever I did, he was just said, oh, yeah, I think that is what you've done there is really, really good. And well, that was really excellent. Or just doing that lovely thing of being encouraging instead of focusing on things that weren't right, just looking at the things that I was really good at and um, and, and uh, getting them, getting behind them. So it's, it's, I think it's very interesting that so much of education now seems to be about, you know, that really white heat thing focusing on your weaknesses and you've got to get everything up to a standard or whatever and I do think there's a lot to be said for just being in a place where you can be yourself and having someone who notices what you're good at and you just focus on what you're what you're good at instead of worrying all the time about the things that you're that you're not had it not been for him do you think you would have had the kind of same trajectory education wise no, I don't think I would because I wouldn't have. I wouldn't really have ever thought I was any good, really. I mean, I just thought I was fine, but I didn't. Uh, he he definitely made me think. Oh God, you good? I genuinely had a proper talent, um, and could be really good. If you know what I mean. So I, I would probably have just bumbled along, being a bit unsure. But it, he definitely gave me the confidence to, um, well, to be confident. I said. It, it reminds me of, um, I don't know if you've seen the um, Live with Adele recently, and she, her, her English teacher joins her up on stage and she, she says something very similar. She would never have pursued music had it not been for this one teacher. And it is incredible how this one person can completely change your kind of life. Yeah. And and you think they probably don't, and you probably don't even notice it at the time. And they probably don't notice it either, particularly. Mm-hmm. But um, but but this... this um, Look, he's called Jock Spaulding, and uh, and yeah, he definitely, definitely, really made me believe that I could uh, could do something. And you did. You got into Cambridge. So, in, um, and that was in 1985. And how did you feel? Can you remember how you felt when you gained your place? I think I felt, I felt, I felt so pleased. And I also, I sort of felt, oh, I can't quite believe this that I've um, that that this has happened and um I I I suppose you know that I hate the the idea of imposter syndrome really because I think it tends to be a way of making women often feel that they're not good enough or uh, but but I definitely did feel I've definitely chosen the wrong person um and so I did feel I felt a sort of mixture of really pleased but also sort of worried that um that I wasn't going to be I wasn't going to be up to it and it was going to be um it was going to be really really difficult and exacting and I wouldn't be able to 
rise to the occasion. So I definitely felt a bit intimidated as well as really pleased. Mm-hmm. And, and did your time live up to those expectations? You know, how did it actually play out once you were there? Well, it was so, well, as soon as I got to um, Murray Edwards, actually, or Newhall, um, as it was then, even when I was doing the sort of interview thing, as soon as I got there, I thought, this is so nice here. You know, but you know, because it is, isn't it? It's so, so warm and so unpretentious and not at all all the things that I, I kind of, you know, had as, associated with Oxford being quite stiff and being quite formal and being, you know, very exacting and being... Um, uh, it, it didn't feel like any of those things. It felt genuinely really warm, really supportive, really unjudgy. Um, and so from, so from the word, almost from the word go, I felt um, that I was in a, in a really lovely, nurturing sort of environment and nurturing in that truer sense of, of you've uh, arrived and, and, you know, you're going to, you know, a bit like a plant or whatever that's going to be watered and and have sunshine um, raining down on it. I felt like that, you know, that I was uh, in this really lovely context where I could find out all sorts of things and sort of and grow in it. Uh, yeah, or like, like being in a, you know, being in a beautiful garden or something. I mean, it was really was um, was a lovely, lovely growing environment. I completely agree. I think it is. I think there is just this complete kind of sense of inclusivity and warmth and you feel looked after there in a way that's not overbearing, but as kind of like you feel looked after as in, in a place where they, your, your growth is supported in several different senses, you know, not just academically. Yeah, and, 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 it, and it, I, don't, I don't know whether it's still like this now, but for me at the time, I remember it feeling really deep rooted, that thing about it being um, everyone being really supportive it was you know from the people in the porter's lodge your tutor supervisor all all the kind of sisterliness of 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 of, um of all your friends and and everyone on the corridor and everything it really genuinely felt like everyone was in this in uh, this really lovely community of of mutual support and uh and that is so lovely for learning isn't it and growing and and enjoying learning and growing do you think that shaped you as a woman you know and, and what other experience at Cambridge shaped you oh, it definitely it definitely it definitely really shaped it really shaped me because it gave me loads of um made me feel really confident in the way that you you know when you are on a bit of a roll and kind of growing you know that it does give you a proper spring in your step doesn't it but also I, the um, if that was the first time really I'd, I'd been introduced to any kind of feminist theory um, at that um, when I got to Newhall, which is a sort of odd thing to think about looking back on it, but because I've just been to this boys' school and, and, and lived this quite kind of, you know, reasonably sheltered sort of life, I hadn't really ever th- ever thought about uh, about feminism. And I... Mari Edwards, we did quite a lot of 
in history, I remember going to quite a few talks and things that were run by the History Society that were about women in history and how they had been overlooked, undervalued, underheard, the impacts that they had made that had been, had been sort of rubbed out or diminished and stuff that had never occurred to me at, at all. Um, that being it, being exposed to all of that, which, you know, later on then but has become a kind of really important part of my, my working life. Um, so really, so introduced all of that to me. And then also I just had such a happy time there. Um, because it is so, it is, it is genuinely sisterly, isn't it? I think, and I had the most wonderful friends who I've still got now, and um, uh, and we still all knock around together, and as we and we um, always have a lovely laugh together, as well as a very sort of interesting time. So it, it just it, it genuinely really um, set me up for so many so many things and also it's really nice if you if you are isn't it if you are a person who likes being absorbed in work it is it is so lovely to be in an environment where that is really encouraged and you've got every sort of facility that uh, promotes and encourages being absorbed um so yeah so i i i've got nothing but nothing but really positive memories actually of the of the of the whole thing particularly the the sort of nurturing growing thing about new home after cambridge you graduate and your first role was in advertising which wasn't particularly smooth sailing could you tell us a bit about that Yes, I can. Yes, so so in the in whenever it was nineteen eighty five, whenever I left nineteen eighty six, um, the advertising was uh, 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 you know in that sort of late eighties way. It was a really like really genuinely really fashionable career to be in, and um, so it was obviously at the height of sort of that Thatcherist consumerist greed is good kind of era, and. Um, and so I scored this this job that I thought, and actually it was it was a really good job as soon as as a graduate trainee at this uh, agency in London that was really really fashionable. And um, and and I, again, I couldn't quite believe that I'd got this job, but anyway, I I'd got it, and I was really pleased. But again, felt that same thing of Am I going to be? Um, up to this and I'm going to be found out and I'm certainly it's it's certainly it's a much cooler kind of outfit than I am but uh, anyway I sort of thought I'll give it uh, I was very pleased and buoyed up to be doing it and then um after after about I it wasn't very long it must have been no more than a year I got made redundant and um and I remember sort of it was you know like a proper um yeah, proper sort of blow to be have sort of be all pleased with myself for having got this this really cool job, and then then to have to say, oh, actually, I've lost it. Anyway, it all turned out absolutely brilliantly because I then quite quickly got another and another job, at another agency, and this agency that I then went on to work at, which is called BMP, was much much better suited to the sort of person that I am, and and I had the most brilliant 
lovely career there and I never would have done if I hadn't got axed from this very um cool sort of shop that I was um that I uh yeah that I got fired from but I uh, so at the time it was one of those things that felt really really painful not for very long but it actually turned out to be really really good because AI um AI got myself a much a job at a place that was where I was much happier and much better suited to being and be the sort of experience of of sort of losing job made you made me realize oh god you can t- take all these things so much to heart and mind too much about some stuff and actually once you've kind of lost it and regained it you sort of realize gosh I can get back on the horse and 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 um falling off isn't so bad and it actually is good for your confidence I think isn't it when you realize realize that the things that you think are the worst things to happen actually aren't and they can be really fruitful and positive and and good it was really a blessing in disguise yeah I mean got complete blessing in disguise and a, a blessing that I would never have had if it if I if there had if 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 it had you know if I hadn't lost the job I would never you know I would just never have had the next however many years it was in this working at this other place where I was so happy and um so it was yeah not only just in disguise but it would never have even come along I don't think in our prior conversations I know you mentioned that you're um you met your husband you met your current um working partner once you once you moved on agencies I'm glad you brought that up actually because there was one of the things that was so nice about this uh BMP where I worked was that it had a a, a way of working that really encouraged people to work in partnership and actually to work in pairs and up to that point I had always thought because I suppose when you're at university and when you're at school it's so much it's just really about what you can do isn't it and what you can pull off and you're being evaluated just for yourself and it was the first time that I realized actually how brilliant it is to be in a partnership with someone rather than on your own whether that's in work or in life or or whatever but because we were all really we were encouraged to work in pairs and we each had like little response different responsibility within our pairs but the idea was that that you know that that you would be much stronger if you were working with someone else who could compensate for weaknesses you had encourage strengths that you did have that you did that you would be more um sure-footed and um united if you were a, you know like a, a, like a, a working in tandem kind uh, of working in yes and working together and uh, and and I have really loved being in partnerships ever since in my in my work environment so I um the bloke who used to run the agency was a bit is a still he's a really good friend of mine but he was the most wonderful partner had really lovely um creative people that I work with who are brilliant partners um my sister Sarah who I um going back to the beginning she's always been a really brilliant partner in life and Jane who I work with now I met I met in that area era and we were a sort of pair to pair together and so it's something that I've always really loved really loved in life generally is I think being in a pair is much um 
well, quite underrated and quite overlooked, actually, the importance of it and how lovely it is when you're in partnership with someone who really understands you and can encourage you to be your best self and compensate when you're, when you're not being so good. It's, it's, it's a great source of strength, I think. So was that at BMP or had, had you moved on to Ogilvy by that point where you met Jane? No, it was at, at BMP that we met. And then, then uh, subsequently, we both went to Ogilvy and I was I she was the in charge of strategy at Ogilvy and I was in charge of the sort of client relationships bit so we were a kind of pair even when we when we when we went to um went to Ogilvy. You rose to become the client service director and then in 2006 you published your first book with Jane which was inside her pretty little head could you tell us a bit about that and what kind of pushed you to create that? In those days in advertising, and actually I say those days and it still is quite like this, but when we, Jane and I worked in um, agencies, which on the whole were the most pretty liberal, as you would imagine, creative, progressive sort of environments, but there was this massive bias that was in the, in the hardwired really into the way the all agencies were, which was that almost all the ads were written and produced and directed and photographed by men and quite young men sort of bro style uh creative teams made up of sort of 20 year olds and we Jane and I sort of never but never sort of actively bothered us but it did we it did make us very aware of that for products and brands that were targeting women and female audiences, they were always given much less attention within the agency and much less creative resource and much less sort of imaginative and insightful treatment than when it came to brands and markets that were in inverted commas, male, so booze and technology and financial services and consumer electronics and automotive cards. They all always those were the accounts that were, the, you know, the most sort of prestigious and were given all the creative firepower. And then when it were when the audience was female, it tended to be very um, much more derivative stuff so it would be that kind of slice of life stuff or you know that awful um very technical science bit type advertising and it was all pretty derivative and quite quite dull and so we we having sort of noticed this bias and become sort of increasingly annoyed by it we would then uh decided to do a research study to look into female brands and female audiences and how you could find better and more interesting ways to connect with them. And, and um, luckily, someone agreed to publish our book, which is very, very nice. Um, and, um, and, and so we published this book inside her pretty little head. And um, it was it was at the time the sort of first book that really had ever been written about marketing to women. There were there were other books that were about they were called things like The Power of the Purse and things like that, which were <laughs> which were all um 
kind of tended to treat female audiences as these, you know, this sort of funny marginal niche, um, yeah, sort of secondary audiences that you could, um, that, uh, so we were, tr- we were trying to do something that said that there's, there's a, the female audiences, that they literally are the most important consumer audiences on earth and they need to be the primary focus of development um, intentions, not this sort of secondary, oh, yes, and they'll, oh, let's do something for them and let's do something probably rather lame and derivative. So, yes, yeah, so we so we we did this big research study on female brands and female audiences and, we, and it was published. And then on the back of that, we set up um, our research um, consultancy, which is, yes, which we have now. Um, and have been doing for 15 years. I mean, it is incredible that like you you both had these really um, big jobs in Ogilvy. And for anyone who doesn't know the industry, Ogilvy is top dog, basically. So, you know, and I find it super interesting that you left those to take the risk and pursue a business when you could have easily, you know, taken the safe route and probably stayed in those roles. So... I wonder, were you anxious to make that leap or was it something that you were so sure about? And, you know, do you have any advice for other women who are on the precipice of making that big career change? I think, I think, uh, well, I, and I would say this because it all turned out so nicely and but was been a great set. But I really would say uh, to anyone who um, has got an idea for a business that it is just so liberating and interesting and enjoyable and brilliant to just get on and do it and not be too worried about kind of keeping on with some sort of big career trajectory or whatever that you have um, invested um, a lot in or people have invested a lot in you. Uh, in, In my little bit of experience it's just it's been brilliant and and wonderful and and it's the kind of thing actually like all those really big life decisions if you think too much about it for too long you never will do it just got to kind of um and that going back to the pair and the partnership thing because I was with Jane I always just felt quite confident about it and she because she was with me she felt quite confident and because we were a pair we didn't you know we could stop each other going into the great spirals of self-doubt and and just encourage each other along to along to do it so I would definitely say yeah do it and and if you've got some a, a really nice partner to do it with so much better and and uh yeah so much I think probably just makes it so much easier I'm not sure I would have been brave enough if I'd been on my own or would have enjoyed it so much if I'd been on my own I think I'd been much more doubtful and spent a lot of time on doubts (laughs) do you enjoy being self-employed more than you did when you were working in the agency yeah, I think I do. It's a bit, I mean, it can be a bit uh, feast and famine you know, it's just a bit, it's quite, quite uh, it can be quite, I suppose, particularly over the last few years with COVID, but, you know, there, there is something pretty hard going and relentless about um, having to generate business as well as do business. It's quite, it, 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 
it means you can't let up perhaps in the same uh, the same way that you can if you're an employee you know maybe you can go home and feel that you don't have to think about it but on the other you know there's the the upsides of it are so so worth it and you can the lovely thing about it is that that for both Jane and I, that we'd be just be, have really been able to focus on the things that we really like doing at work. So we, all our, all the clients that we work with, have we've been really nice. Most of the projects we get given to do are really interesting, quite difficult, strategic questions which we really like answering. We do loads of research which we love doing, and all the things that we didn't really like. We, do, we just literally don't do them and we and we create the business so that we don't have to do them so we don't do uh, and we don't do a lot of um managing other people because everyone that we work with are sort of freelancers and they're pretty um uh able people who can stand on their own two feet don't need lots of nurturing we um don't have any any sort of politics and all that sort of rubbish of that you can get in big in big companies we um you know if we we can go for we go for walks all the time <laughs> it's quite difficult to you know when we're working we quite often just go for a walk to to walk and work which is really constructive so we just organize it all exactly how we like it to be organized which is much harder isn't it to do when you're when you're working in a company now it's 15 years later and you're published you've just published your third book this year so this is your third book with Jane and it's called Brand Spaining Why Marketing is Still Sex and How to Fix It and what made you want to write this follow-up if it is a follow-up but I, I'm assuming it kind of is a kind of continuation of your um kind of the, those 15 years of working in the research kind of side of marketing um, yes, it, 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 I suppose what we what we felt was in the in the fifteen years that we've been working in the with female audiences, consumer audiences, so much has happened in the in the world of women because you've obviously you've had fourth wave feminism, female feminism's become more or less a kind of mainstream. Um, concept hasn't it cultural a cultural concept there's been me too there's been all the blurring of kind of gender boundaries and definitions there's um so it's been this really fascinating time to to have been in this particular space and then in in advertising and communications has been that this there's that you know that trope called um fempowerment uh which is such an awful word but you know the the, the advertising that that basically takes or brands that take feminist ideas and, and attach them to to um to yeah marketing messages and so there's been there's been loads of really interesting stuff going on and having been had these lovely sort of ringside seats for all that development in by re researching with women all that time we were asked by Penguin they, to, to, to write a book that was a kind of state of the nation thing that said, right, well, so where, where, are, where are female audiences now? Where is marketing? Are there, are there still gaps and, and um, 
and misalignments and misconnections and if there are what can, what can what can be done about it are you disappointed with the lack of progress in the marketing space uh i think i think it's like all the everything to do with feminism isn't it it's, it's a kind of back and forth one two steps forward one step back you know a wave comes forward and then recedes and then it but it leaves a mark and then then there's a sort of you know so it's a, it's a it's not a linear thing at all and so on one hand you can look at it and say oh my god there's been amazing progress and uh, you know brands like dove and always and nike and, and female sport you know have done have have kind of you know in properly redefined how those categories uh, operate and have done amazing things and have made being a genuine part of, of feminism being going mainstream and then you can and then you can also point to the most awful uh reactionary good girl perfectionist narratives of you know awful ideals being pressed on women and you, you know you only have to look on social media to see that all that stuff is still out there and still out there in a really pervasive and actually in some cases much much more hardened and and um uh, sort of narrow way than it ever was so it's it's sort of so you can be really disappointed or you can be really um uh energized by it and it's it's a yeah it's a lift between two floors shall we say for anyone wondering you can get Jane and Philippa's book on um Amazon and where I'm assuming it's sold in all kind of major retail bookstores Oh yeah, that's kind of you. Thank you. It's yeah, it's it's um. Oh, you can get it in everywhere. Waterstones, Amazon, um, your independent local independent bookseller, ideally. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 widely available. Less less widely available in in the states actually than I'd like. We'd like it to be, but anyway, you can get it on Amazon.com. So aside from your career. You had quite a turbulent period in the last years of your 30s when you had your daughter and you sadly lost your mother. And I think it's incredibly poignant that you've associated this time with the closing passage from Middlemarch, which I'll just read out. It's, but the effect of her being on those around her was incalculably incalcul- diffusive. For the growing good of the world is partly dependent on her unhistoric acts and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who live faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. Why did you choose this quote, I was wondering? Oh, well, it's a, it's a, um, a, tr- a tr- sort of t- tribute to my mum, actually, because it um, she was a massive George Eliot fan. And A, and B, that's the kind of life that she lived. You know, she was one of those people who every day did these, all these, these, you know, lovely acts of kindness and creativity and supportiveness, but all in an unhistoric way way just just and and I genuinely believe that that the you know the growing good of the world is all about those those things and um so sort of going back slightly to the 
male female thing you know so much of the world gets documented around these historic acts and so much of the world doesn't get recorded and doesn't get recognized for the the unhistoric things that happen on a day-to-day basis usually by women usually by mothers actually and um so it's kind of tribute to a tribute to her but also a a, a thing that I've just got a strong strong belief in that it's not the always the headline historic stuff that makes that makes the difference but the uh you know the those have it those those daily things that people do for each other that makes a big difference completely and in in when we were speaking before this interview you kind of saying that these events changed your perspective um and is that because you kind of decided to live by these values um a little bit a little bit it was and and I suppose when when my when my mum died it definitely made me um, which I think people always do, don't they? But it definitely gives you loads of pause for thought. And I suppose up to that point, I had always, you know, I, I probably was, uh, I, I think I felt in hindsight that I hadn't, I was too caught up in my work and hadn't, didn't, hadn't given sufficient attentions to the sort of non-work dimensions in my in my life, and I've been married to Phil for since the sort of early early nineties, but we just sort of um, you know bounded along really. But it really made me think that my mum died. Oh God, I'd really like to get my own family life sorted out. So then we yeah. So so as a result really of her dying, we then had Rose, our daughter, who and and you know that's been a kind of absolutely wonderful, brilliant thing. In, in my life. So whilst it was so out of this again, out of the sadness of my mum not being around, we then had uh, had rhythms and um yeah, and then a whole other new chapter. Reflecting on your life and career, I guess uh, something that we ask all um the participants in this podcast is how looking back now and having reflected on all of that how do you define success i well for me um success is uh um i suppose there are two dimensions there's i I really love being absorbed in something and um i think there's there's absolutely nothing nicer than that feeling of of uh being in the subject and really um getting absorbed in it and trying to get to the bottom of it and and trying to make the best of it and so I I love I love being absorbed in things so I think for me having a a life where there's lots of opportunity for to be absorbed in stuff is very is is really important so that would be one thing and then the second thing would be the partnership thing I think it is lovely to really lovely to work in partnership so now on the um 15th year of having a business uh is there any stone left unturned and is there anything you kind of feel that you still want to I guess have the opportunity to be absorbed in oh god there's there's loads of things that I really really um uh that I really, really want to do, and and I suppose because I've had quite, 
you know, busy, full-on work life for a lot of time. There's a loads of things that I think, oh God, I haven't uh, even really scraped the uh, surface of so many things. So, so loads of things I want to read. I've never ever um, understood much about music, and and I'm very unmusical, but so I'm very conscious that there's a whole world of music that I don't really know about. But I really would love the, to have some time and opportunity to get really absorbed in that. I really like painting and, and art, and I would love to do, love to do much more of that. Really like to do lots of travelling. There are loads of um, of different partners that I've had, you know, so far in my life that I'd like to be seeing more of and doing more stuff with so there's loads of things that I would have got, I've got up my sleeve thank you so much for joining us it's been so interesting to speak to you and the advice that you've given um to all the listeners I'm sure will be super useful um and yeah I wish you all the best with your future endeavors in music and whatever else Oh, thank you so much. And and thank you so much for asking me and setting it all up and making it so well organised and everything. I really appreciate it.